Hello and welcome to another episode of the Climate Justice Central podcast. Today I'm here with a fellow journalist from Mozambique. Uh, Alex, could you please briefly introduce yourself? Who are you? What what do you do? Muito obrigado, Philip. Meu nome é Alexandre Nyamposa. Thank you, Philip. My name is Alexandre Nyamposa, and I am a journalist in Mozambique, based in Maputo. I have more than 10 years of experience reporting on political and economic issues. In the last three to four years, I have done a lot of reporting on environmental issues. So right now we are working together in a project that actually focuses on the expansion of fossil fuels and fossil fuel industries in, in African countries. The gas extraction in Mozambique has been really at the center of, of a lot of reporting because it already has a, a lot of like effects on the communities, on the country as a, as a whole. Could you give a, a short overview of the situation right now concerning the gas extraction in the northern part of Mozambique? Okay, a situação de, de, de projetos de, de exploração de gás em Moçambique the situation with gas exploration projects in Mozambique is somewhat unbalanced. These projects exist more on paper than in practice. There are projects all along the coast, all over the country. The country has a coastline of about 2,600 kilometers, and seismic information indicates that the land along this coast is rich in natural resources, mainly oil and gas. Sísmicas indicam que ao longo de, dessa costa toda tem, tem, tem lá recursos. So there are companies that are doing studies and some that are already doing some field exploration, especially in the north where we have two prominent companies, ExxonMobil and Total Energies. Principalmente na zona norte, onde temos três companhias de destaque. A ExxonMobil, a Mercana ExxonMobil, a Total Energy, que é a... And there are proven oil reserves there, but the projects are not moving forward because of insurgent attacks, which the government also calls terrorist attacks. Uh, we're talking about more than $60 billion worth of projects. In the midst of these terrorist attacks, there are also environmental groups protesting against the advancement of these projects. But the government thinks that this is a matter that we will talk about later. The government is closed to these complaints. It clashes with the protests and believes that these projects should go forward for the development and economic growth of Mozambique. In all of the countries that we are reporting on in our project, there is a big discourse about like the expected economic benefits for those countries from the fossil fuel projects. So governments, leaders, authorities say that they need like the fossil fuels or the extraction of the fossil fuels to generate growth, to generate employment and so on. How, how strong is this like development-oriented discourse in Mozambique? And what do you think? I mean, how realistic is it that Mozambique actually benefits from those projects? 
Os projetos em si, claro que envolvem muitos, muitos bilhões de dólares de, de, de investimento. At the local level, of course, the projects themselves represent billions of dollars in investment. There's also the prospect of billions of dollars in revenue for the Mozambican state. This has basically Beverman's arguments. Basicamente o argumento do governo que a partir das receitas que o Estado vai encaixar that with the revenues that the state will collect, it will implement programs, projects, and public policies aimed at local development in the communities. But in general, both the local people, those who are in the location of these factories, uh, as well as university researchers, are skeptical. These people are skeptical because of Mozambique's experience with mega projects. É, duvido muito, são céticos, essas pessoas são céticas em relação a, a essas promessas, a essas perspectivas, porque é, Moçambique tem experiência de, de mega projetos. Mozambique's first experience was with aluminum production. There is a factory that produces aluminum on Mozambican soil and has been generating revenue for a long time. In the southern zone in the province of Inpain, we also have a project by a South African petrochemical company that is exploring for gas and making a lot of profit, sending billions of dollars of revenue to the state. In the central zones, we have large Brazilian and Indian companies mining coal, also making large profits and sending revenues to the state. But what is happening in these communities? What is the impact of these revenues on these communities? There is basically uh, a consensus that there is no local development. É basicamente um consenso de que não há não há nenhum desenvolvimento, não há nenhum desenvolvimento local, não há nenhum desenvolvimento a nível da província. There is no change. The local youth remain unemployed. They remain without access to education, housing, and other basic services that the government is now promising. So this argument that oil and gas projects are the basis for economic growth and local development is an argument that the government is making, but nobody believes it. There are many doubts. In the south of the country, where the South African petrochemical company is processing and exploring gas, the youth are always demanding jobs. They always promote local marches and complain about the same basic services, but it has been 10, 20 years since this company has been exploring for gas there. I'd, I'd like to talk a bit more about the security situation in, in Cabo Delgado because it has a has been a quite unsecure place for for quite a while for several years with terrorist attacks and and violence all over the place. So, what is the current situation there at the moment? But at the same time, what is from your perspective? the relation between those terrorist attacks and this high level of uh, insecurity and violence and like on the one hand and then on the other hand the uh, the exploitation of natural resources durante muito tempo eh os ataques eh ocorrem em Cabo Delgado precisamente desde the attacks in Cabo Delgado have been happening since 2017. In terms of time, it seems short, but it is a long time, especially when you consider the impact of the insurgency or terrorism in Cabo Delgado. Many people have died, including innocent young people and the elderly. We are talking about people who have been beheaded, 
shot and others who have simply been found in their agricultural fields or on the streets. These are innocent people who have nothing to do with it, but who are experiencing this situation. The situation of attacks in Cabo Delgado is dramatic. There's been some improvement in security conditions since 2019, especially since 2019-2020, when the Rwandan Air Forces began to help the Mozambican forces as well as the CCC troops. Two months ago, these troops managed to eliminate the leaders of the two terrorist groups. In October and November, however, the attacks resumed. It's noticeable that these groups, under new leadership, are trying to show their presence by promoting unprecedented attacks. They are attacking areas that were not previously considered attack zones. The only safe area in Cabo Delgado is basically the cities and the areas where the factories are located, especially the Total Energy Gas plant in Palma. This area is safe, but other areas, especially in the villages, are areas where terrorists roam freely without any significant response from the forces, whether Rwandan, Mozambican, or Sedan. The government tends to say, and uses the argument to resume these gas projects, that the situation is under control, but the people who are there when interviewed say directly that there is no control. There is control only where there are soldiers, but not voluntarily. So the province itself is not controlled, and these people are encouraging attacks and more attacks in the cities because of the military presence. And it's because of these forces that mainly protect the perimeter of all the oil and gas projects, but a few kilometers away and in some villages away from these cities, it's clear that there is no security in Cabo Delgado. If we also study the causes, what is behind all these attacks? we find that there's a certain relationship between the motivations of the youth and the oil and gas projects. One of the most important reasons is that both the government and these companies, whether national or foreign, have always sold an image that with the exploration or development of these projects, there will be massive hiring of local youth, as well as youth from around the province. However, it was found that these young people were not taken into consideration because they had no schooling. They're illiterate youth with no experience, for example, in metalworking or carpentry, which were the skills most sought after by the companies. They are youth who have only an agricultural background or some fishing background, which was limited even before the oil and gas projects, preventing them from continuing their subsistence fishing and farming activities and leaving them simply frustrated. There are some attempts to train local youth, but it was found that the youth who were trained and hired were from other provinces not locals. So many frustrated youths joined together and some were easily recruited by terrorist groups with the promise of sums of money. They joined and are part of this group of people who are promoting attacks to this day. So there's clearly some visible correlation between the oil and gas projects and the attacks. As the exposed response of these projects to the expectations of the youth left them frustrated and they joined terrorist groups. How difficult is it actually for you to report about those issues? I mean, 
it's a like highly insecure region there. Uh, at the same time, journalistic work is also highly under under pressure. How do you like actually do your work? Do you manage to go to those places to really travel there? Um, or is it mostly like work that you do from Maputo, where you live, like the capital of Mozambique? And at the same time, is it dangerous for you to to report on those issues from a like press and media freedom perspective? Definitivamente, definitivamente muito complicado escrever sobre essas matérias. Uh, yes, definitely. It's very difficult to write about these issues. There are no independent journalists or independent researchers who feel safe working on these issues. The government doesn't want these issues to be reported. In fact, they don't want them reported because the reasons for these attacks are also related to bad governance. We're talking about frustrated young people, uneducated young people who don't have access to education or many other basic services, except for housing all because of the government. So when independent journalists report on these issues or interview those affected, including young people who have joined insurgent groups, these young people indirectly say that they are doing this as a form of protest to oppose the government. The government prefers to argue that these are just attempts by the Islamic State to expand its area of operation. But the roots of this problem are local. The government does not accept this reality and does not provide credentials for journalists to go into the field and report on these things. It's very dangerous for analysts to write about it, including in the case of my own editor, who was expelled from Mozambique three years ago and banned for about 10 years. It's believed, although the government hasn't explained it very well, that it was because of his regular reporting on the situation in Cabo Delgado. It's very, very complicated. In, in our project for Climate Justice Central, you've written a report about the new demand for LNG, which is like directly linked to the Russian war in Ukraine, right? And the European countries seeking alternative sources to, to Russian gas. So what would you say is the link between like European energy affairs and the current yeah, projects in, in Mozambique? What, what is your finding there? There was a time when the promotion of gas exploration projects in Mozambique was mainly supported by the Mozambican government and the companies themselves, who are, of course, concerned with profit. They're not very concerned with dignity or environmental issues. They're focused on exploiting resources to make money. So we had these two actors in the scenario, the oil companies, but since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it's noticeable that the European Union, and not only Uh, that other countries as well, primarily the UA, in supporting these projects. We now have three agents involved, the Mozambican Samaritans, the oil companies, and these countries like UA. And the U is here, and their message is that Mozambican gas can help the U uh, and others deal with the global energy crisis. Mozambique, now with the uh, support of foreign powers, is moving forward with these projects. For example, the Total Energy Project, which was suspended due to terrorist attacks. Uh, the U.S. sent a team to Mozambique to help. They're not directly involved in fighting, but they're training Mozambican soldiers to fight the insurgents. 
because the EU is now interested in Mozambique's oil and gas to alleviate the energy crisis. We have even announced help with military equipment, not just money. We're talking about vehicles for these forces to fight the insurgents. So, yeah, since the beginning of the war in Ukraine, the EU has been coming to Mozambique frequently to negotiate and to indicate that Mozambique should go ahead with these oil and gas projects to help with the global energy crisis. Maybe to, to add on to this, just to give a bit more like of an dimension to this, you know, because uh, you write in your text that one of the projects from Total Energy, like if the French company could like only this one project in, in Mozambique could emit 3.3 to 4.5 billion tons of CO2 equivalent over its life cycle. So this would be more than the combined annual greenhouse gas emissions of all 27 EU countries in, in one year, right? So those wells, those projects are really gigantic. And at the same time, this happens in a context of like Mozambique, being already affected by climate change, right? So could you maybe briefly describe the consequences that global warming already has on Mozambique? Because this also shows a bit the hypocrisy, I would say, that international companies are investing in a country that is already affected, like negatively affected by the results of like fossil fuel use globally. É verdade, é uma autêntica de parte de hipocrisia, porque... It's true. It's a, a real source of hypocrisy, especially on the part of the Mozambican government, because every year there are cyclones, heavy rains that affect Mozambique, including the northern region where these big projects are located. These are problems that the government observers but ignores. It rejects protests, warnings and calls for attention and continues with projects that are a real threat to the local and in some ways the global climate. These impacts have caused the destruction of hospitals, schools, houses, a, we're talking about houses made of precarious materials, impacts that only increase poverty. And yet we have a government and these companies announcing that they have to go ahead with this project. It's a paradox. That's hard to understand. What the Mozambican government should do is suspend these projects and focus on other areas like agriculture. The government could also invest in the blue economy. Given our extensive coastline, the government could invest in the blue economy instead of these projects, which pose a clear threat to the environment. Alex, thank you so much for this conversation. And yeah, well, keep up the good work. It's really... Uh a very, very difficult environment to do journalism. And um, yeah, I wish you all the best and stay safe. <laughs> Thanks for the interview. It was really interesting.